So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to today's seminar on food loss and waste in fruit and vegetable supply chains. Uh, I'm Luciana Delgado, Senior Research Analyst at IFPRI, and I will be moderating this event. So we are eager to hear from you uh, to participate in our Q&A session. Please submit your question at ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using uh, the hashtag AskIFPRI on Twitter. So we have an exciting program lineup for you. Let me introduce our first speakers in the order of their remarks. First is Rob Boss, Division Director of Markets, Trades and Institutions at IFPRI and the leader of the CGR Initiative on Rethinking Food Markets. And our second speaker is Jacob Jensen, Minister for Food, Agriculture and Fisheries of Denmark. Unfortunately, Minister Jensen isn't able to join us today, but he has sent us a video recording of his remarks. Uh, so Rob, the floor is yours. Thank you, uh, Luciana. Um, on behalf of the International Food Policy Research Institute, the World Resources Institute and the Embassy of Denmark, let me also welcome you to this uh, event on food loss and waste, which we're now organizing in this format uh, on the around the 12.3, the 12th of March for the fifth consecutive year. Food loss and waste remains a huge global problem found everywhere along the value chain from the producer to the consumer. The latest data from FAO and UNEP still indicate that about one third of all food produced around the globe is either lost or wasted at some point in the food supply chain. The inclusion of a specific target 12.3 for food loss and waste reduction as part of the UN Sustainable Development Goals has raised awareness and turned the problem into an issue of global concern since 2015. The establishment of the G20 technical platform uh, on the measurement and reduction of food loss and waste has turned the issue a recurring agenda item of the meeting of the G20 agricultural ministers. And also united as the champions 12.3, a coalition of executives from governments, businesses, international organizations, research institutions, farmer groups and civil society are putting their weight behind efforts at reducing food loss and waste. At the United Nations Food Systems Summit of 2021, a global multi-stakeholder coalition was formed called Food is Never Waste to further agglutinize international and national concerted action to reduce food loss and waste. But yet, despite this increased international awareness, and even though we can identify many successful efforts by agri-food businesses in specific contexts, the needle on the global aggregates on food loss and waste does not seem to be visibly, visibly moving. This is particularly agrarious in a world where one out of nine persons is food insecure and goes to bed hungry every day. And in fact, world hunger has been on the rise again since the establishment of these Sustainable Development Goals in 2015. What is more, since we've started organizing these events, we've witnessed multiple global shocks in the form of the pandemic, subsequent global supply chain disruptions, and the war in Ukraine, which not only had major adverse effects on food security, but each also have, have been a new source of major additional food losses. When food is lost or wasted, all the resources used to produce it, including water, land, energy, labor, and capital go to waste. Solutions to reduce food loss and waste thus represent a triple win opportunity for climate, food security, and the sustainability of global food systems. 
And what we have learned from the recent global crises is that we must work to make supply chains more resilient to prevent further unnecessary food losses. At today's event, we will take stock of efforts around the world to tackle food loss and waste and learn from business actors in developed and developing countries about effective solutions for reducing both food loss and food waste. Today, we'll take a closer look at the fruits and vegetable supply chains, which are among the healthiest foods, but also the most uh, wasted foods. Given their perishable nature, great care, attention, and cooperation along all parts of fruit and vegetable value chains are required to reduce food loss and waste. We can make enormous gains here. So I look forward to hearing from our experts, as well as from all of you, our audience, how we can double efforts for reducing food loss and waste in fruit and vegetable supply chains and earn the urgently needed multiple wins for the health of the planet and the health of the, all the people living on it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my greatest pleasure to present the opening remarks of this seminar on food loss and food waste. The world is facing difficult times, multiple crises. Last year, as many as 828 million people were affected by hunger. This is an alarming fact. And Russia's brutal war in Ukraine has led to escalating prices on food, energy and fertilizers with strong negative effects on global food security, especially in less developed countries. Therefore, we have to engage ourselves even more and look even further when it comes to better solutions of tomorrow. This is why fighting food loss and waste is crucial and more beneficial than ever. Reducing food loss and waste is a triple win opportunity for our climate, our wallets and in the combat for ending world hunger. There are no quick fixes. However, collaborating across nations and ensuring know-how is the best way forward. As you know, we are wasting one third of the food produced throughout the food supply chain. Valuable food that vanished and tons of missed opportunities. Denmark is a small country with only 6 million Danes. Yet, every year we throw away around 800,000 tons of food. Our waste is estimated to be responsible for 2 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions. This is why we've made reduction of food loss and waste a national priority. We've had an ambitious target to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 70% before 2030. This means that we need to fight food waste and cut it in half. I hope to inspire you today by telling you about the Danish approach. We find it completely central to commit all stakeholders throughout the entire food supply chain. Everyone has to tackle this challenge. Engaging everyone from producers and companies to consumers is a way to take action towards a more sustainable food system. Our think tank, One Third, 
is an excellent example of our Danish approach. One third is committing and helping producers and companies by facilitating concrete actions as well as coordinating the voluntary agreement Denmark against food waste, which focuses on measurements and collecting facts. The agreement has led some of the, our leading food businesses to measure their food waste systematically and they are obliged to report back. Because what gets measured gets managed. And data is the foundation of concrete initiatives and positive changes of behavior. This agreement demonstrates the power of a united effort. Challenging times often leads to stronger solutions. Engaging partnerships is one way to go. Another one is to voice the pointless waste. We are doing this through broad media campaigns to make every citizen aware of their role in reducing food waste. And it works. In the last five years, we have reduced food waste in private homes by 12,000 tons. And now we are working towards easier ways for Danish food businesses to donate their surplus food. So, on this positive note, let us keep momentum and work together to engage all stakeholders from farm to fork. This global challenge can be converted into beneficial opportunity for generations to come. Thank you. Thank you, Rob and Minister Jensen for your welcome remarks. Let me introduce our keynote speaker. Dr. Maximo Torero is the chief economist of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. Uh, Maximo, the floor is yours. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Luciana. Thank you, Rob, for the kind invitation of being here. It's a pleasure to, to be here today to, to present some of the work we are doing uh, in a few minutes. So let me start first looking at, at what is the current status. As, as correctly has been mentioned by, by many of you, uh, food loss and waste is a global problem and is a pressing challenge for efficient and sustainable agri-food systems and for achieving food security and nutrition for all. And reducing food loss and waste represents a triple win opportunity with immediate climate benefits and increased availability of nutritious foods while improving the overall sustainability of the agri-food systems. 81 out of 117 countries, 70% that prioritize the or that came to the food system summit and are doing the transformation pathways, prioritize the reduction of food loss and waste in the national pathways documents that were prepared during the summit. That shows how important it is for countries. And reducing food loss and, and waste is ensuring in sustainable development goal, as Rob mentioned, 12.3, that seeks to reduce to a half uh, food losses uh, by 2030. Uh, but again, uh, food losses and waste, of course. But it is important to understand where we are and why this is so, so important. So let me first start with, with the, the mention that zero hunger means not only feeding 8 billion people, but also nourishing 8 billion people and counting. And these numbers uh, are the latest numbers from the SOFI report that tell us that we are far from it. We have 828 million people on chronic undernourished, 3.1 billion people that don't have access to healthy diets. And if we go in more detail, we see significant problems in children, in millions of stunted children, wasted children, millions of overweight, which means bad quality of diet, and significant rates of mortality uh, uh, for children under five. But also we are seeing nutrition deficiencies, vitamin A deficiency affecting 500,000 
childhood folic acid deficiencies and iron deficiencies. So the challenge is huge. And that's why it doesn't make any sense that given this photograph, we have the levels of losses and waste that I will detail later and that some of it has been already mentioned. It doesn't make any sense because we have to change the way we do things. And of course, it's not easy. Nobody's saying that you reduce automatically food loss and waste and you resolve this problem. There is a lot that will have to go in the middle, no matter how much you reduce food loss and waste. But that's important. But the first thing is to understand the normative part. And that's why there was a huge effort on, to, to be able in, in, in the SOFA publication, the State of Food and Agriculture, in 2019, to come up with a concrete definition so that we are all talking about the same thing. And that's where we define food loss, which is the decrease in the quantity or quality of food resulting from a decision and actions by food suppliers in the chain, excluding retail, food service providers and consumers. And food waste, which is the decrease in the quantity or quality of food resulting from the decision and actions by retailers, food service and consumers. Therefore, food loss goes up to wholesale included and food waste goes from retailer forward. It's important that we keep the definition because the solutions and the policy implications are, are different. Therefore, we need to be very careful on, on this and, and we keep repeating this because it's the only way we can move forward in a solid agenda of, of research and policy change. Now, as I mentioned, 828 million people across the globe are hungry and 3.1 billion people don't have access to healthy diet. At the same time, FAO most recent estimates, this is an update for 2022, we just finished this, said the global food loss percentage is 13.2%. This means this globally more than 13% of food is lost in the supply chain after harvest up to, but not including retail. This is valued uh, at around $400 billion lost annually. This a little very marginal improvement with the previous number, which was 13.7, but it's something very important uh, to look at, at the recent number. With regards to food waste, the United Nations Environment Program, UNEP, publishes the food waste index for the first time in 2021, and it estimated 70%, as I have mentioned, and this is extremely important, 11% corresponds to households, 5% to services, and 2% to, to retail. So it's really important to have clarity on the numbers. But also, it's important to understand the agri-food systems is one of the key contributors to emissions, and it accounts for 31% of the total anthropogenic emissions. Pre- and post-production processes that include the manufacturing of fertilizers, food processing, and packaging are part of this package. And we know that if we reduce food loss and waste, if we eliminate it, it will be important in terms of emissions because of about 10 to 8% of the greenhouse emissions are because of food loss and waste. So a lot of space to work here and a lot of work that we can do in this respect. Now, let me go a little bit more in detail regarding the numbers that, that I was mentioning. The high levels of food loss at 19.9% occurs in Sub-Saharan Africa, and the lowest level is reported in Europe and North America at 9.2%. Food losses percentage in East and Southeastern Asia were estimated at 14.5%, whereas in both Oceania, excluding Australia and New Zealand, losses are 12.4%, and in North Africa and West Asia, food losses were 14.2%. So food loss percentages in Australia and New Zealand were estimated to be 13.9%, in Central and Southern Asia, 12.6%, and Latin American Caribbean, around 14.5%. Our new estimate, of course, is smaller than what was before, but not statistically different at this point. So we need to be careful. There could be a slight improvement, but still, the improvement needs to be significantly higher. And this is just to show the distribution by region that I has already explained. Now, let me look at the sector where, where this is happening. And the highest losses occur in the fruits and vegetable group, at 
according to our 2021-2022 estimates. And this is due to high perishability and few intervention strategies. Lowest losses in cereals and pulses food group at 7.23%. And this could be due to lower perishability and food security crops, so more interventions for losses reduction occur here. So fruits and vegetables, which is the core topic of today, is central. And it's central also because it provides diversity of diets that we need to be able to have access to healthy diets. So if we had a half of the food loss and waste we have today at the same production level, there will be sufficient fruits and vegetables available to cover the recommended intake globally. Of course, the caveat here is that that is assuming that we distribute this gain across everybody to be able to target properly to achieve this. But the important thing is just to get an idea of the magnitude. So a half will give us enough of what we need. With an estimated of 1.5 million deaths globally attributable to low fruit and vegetable consumption, this could have an important health and development impact. Of course, just ensuring global availability does not guarantee sufficient human consumption. We need a systems approach that ensures producer livelihoods, equitable distribution, healthy and food environment, and increased consumer preferences for fruits and vegetables, to name a few vegetables influencing fruit and vegetable intake. However, if we don't even have sufficient availability, we can never reach the recommended consumption patterns. Now, as I have been mentioning, food loss and waste impact the whole system. It impacts our environment, it impacts the development and hinders social progress, and it also induces economic losses and reduces return on investment for farmers. So there is a significant potential of returns, what we call the triple win that we can achieve with the reduction of food loss and waste. Clearly, reducing food loss and waste is a significant lever for broader improvements of our food systems towards improving food security, food safety, quality and sustainability, and increasing efficiency. Even more, when we look across different potential interventions, and here we have the target of 2.1 and 2.2, 2.3 and 2.4, you will see that reduced food losses is the one that has the most green areas, meaning they have the minimum trade-offs and the significant improvement in terms of increase of access to healthy diets, in terms of efficient use of our natural resources, and in terms of reduction on impacts on the environment. Now, but the issue is, it's not just a post-harvest problem. And I think uh, our moderator, uh, Luciana, has worked a lot on this topic and looking across the value chain with all the different methodological approaches that they have been implemented with her co-authors. But what is important to understand is that losses could occur on the farm, could occur at the post-harvest on the storage, could occur on the transportation, in the processing and packaging, and the wholesale and retail. We normally talk a lot about post-harvest and the storage farm. But what this table is showing is that this is not necessarily the case. In Sub-Saharan Africa, in fruits and vegetables, it's a significant impact on the farm. And that means working also on what is happening in the pre-harvest part in the, in, in the planting and the seeds that we're using and how resistant they are. Of course, there is work that still needs to be done in the storage. We have done a literature review with Sadler and other co-authors showing that most of the interventions in the storage have not been properly evaluated and there is not cost-effective analysis. But a significant work needs to be done. That's why the methodological approach that tries to identify where in the value chain the losses occur and to identify the causes before we think on the intervention, I think is central to be able to achieve that. Now, one more important topic is what are the consequences of our actions? Uh, and with David Labor, we did an exercise for the Food System Summit in which we tried different interventions. And one of those was food loss and waste reduction. And here you see the impacts of reduction in chronic undernourishment of a reduction of 50% of losses and waste and also of improvement of access to healthy diets. Of course, intensification of production could have a bigger impact in terms of poverty, of hunger reduction, and access to healthy diets. But what we see here is that food losses has a significant impact and is more cost-effective. 
But the most important thing is, is the only intervention. When we look at different trade-offs of that intervention, meaning trade-offs on land, trade-offs on forestry, trade-offs on energy, trade-offs on chemical, biodiversity, and greenhouse gas emissions. The green, the green color here that goes in the negative side is food loss. It's the only one that for all the different trade-offs that we were able to account had a significant negative impact, meaning that there was an improvement instead of creating negative trade-offs in the opposite to intensification uh, that will create significant trade of the blue bars, for example. And therefore, we need to cope with those and try to minimize those. So again, it's not only the triple win, it's also the intervention that will reduce the trade-offs. And therefore, it brings an idea of how important it is. Now, as it was mentioned in the video, uh, data is central on this. We need to inform the innovation strategies. We need to understand where the losses occur. And all the methodologies being worked uh, by many are essential to identify those. I think if is doing a huge effort on that, we are also doing a huge effort on that. We need to keep working intensively because we need to measure, as it was mentioned before in the case of waste, but also in the case of losses, to see how effective the interventions are. If we don't have an idea what is the level of losses and where they occur in the value chain, and if they are for quantity or for quality, we won't be able to achieve what we want to achieve. But we also need to bring innovations. And we need to look at different innovations that resolve the problems. So understanding the reasons of why the losses occur is central. And we need to strengthen country capacities to be able to do that. In our experience, one of the major problems that we had was drying technologies for smallholders, for example. Still, there is a challenge. There is a lot of drying technologies for large, large areas, but not for smallholders. And this is central, because if I don't dry properly, no matter I have a storage capacity, I will create aflatoxins, for example, in cereals, and will damage my fruits and vegetables. Also, it's important to understand that cooling facilities not necessarily works for all fruits and vegetables. We need to understand the demand side to see what is needed, because many people like to eat fruits and vegetables fresh. And therefore, we can extend the duration, but up to a certain point, because then the, the demand side won't respond to those type of incentives. So clearly, there are low, high-cost impact interventions that can help hundreds of millions of people to get rid of hunger. We can attract an annual investment of about 40 to 50 billion until 2030, every year, in addition to the investment of the governments, this will help us. And clearly, reduction of food loss and waste in the work we have done together with Ceres and, and with CEF, we show that food loss and waste is one of those interventions that could be in incredible uh, cost effective, and therefore is something to look at very closely. Now, FAO places emphasis on sound data and evidence to track the food loss index indicator and to serve as a basis for informing and providing policy support to countries as well as introduction of context-appropriate, resource-efficient, sustainable technologies and quality. Here we see some examples of source-efficient technologies designed by FAO, like the mobile solar shielding facility for milk collection. We have found that the introduction of plastic crates significantly reduces quantitative and qualitative losses in fresh fruit and vegetables chains. We also introduce simple grain storage technologies and support the improvement of adaptation of technologies to improve safety, quality, and efficiency. We also have understand of the importance of digital technologies. And digital technologies can play a crucial role to accelerate this process. We have developed a series of apps, and we are currently working on an app called the FLAP to measure food loss and waste. It was supposed to come earlier, but still we are working on it so that we can fine tune it. And IFPRI and Luciana Delgado, especially, has played a crucial role in helping us on developing this app as part of a project that we have with IFPRI. So there is a lot of opportunities here that could allow us to improve the way we operate could allow us to use the technology and the digital technologies as a mean. It's not necessarily the solution. It's a mean to bring information. It's a mean to identify the problems and to try to resolve the problems and to bring solutions to farmers so that they can choose 
within a menu of options that can resolve the specific problem they have to. So again, it's really important, not only to look at the supply side, but also to look at the demand side. If we don't identify properly where losses occur, where waste is occurring, where the hotspots, then we can bring solutions, but they won't have any impact. And that's why it's so important to have the best possible, the best possible data to achieve that. Finally, the platform that we have in place, together with IFPRI for the G20, brings a lot of knowledge and sharing of technical exchange and, and prioritize food loss and waste. We have developed a code of conduct to reduce food loss and waste that we will be empowering across countries. It's a voluntary code of conduct, but I think there is a lot of opportunities where we can keep improving and working together. So thank you so much again, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. You're muted. You're muted, Luciana. Uh, so thank you, Maximo, for your presentation. Uh, you have updated us with the new estimation of losses. You have also raised the importance of reducing food losses and waste uh, for increasing the availability of nutritious food, uh, improving the use of the natural resources, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and as you said, it is also the action that will have the minimum trade-offs. So thank you again for your presentation. Um, before we continue to our panel discussion, uh, we would like to remind you to keep submitting your questions on ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag as ifpri on Twitter. Uh, we will be coming to the Q&A portion of our event soon. So our first panelist is Rob Boss. So Rob, the floor is yours. Uh, thanks again, uh, Luciana. Um, I would like to... Um, present a few findings from innovations to help reduce food loss and waste that uh, we've done in existing research, but also uh, in new research uh, under a new uh, program of work that we call the Rethinking Food Markets and Value Chains for Inclusion and Sustainability. If we go to the next slide, and the uh, objective of that um, new initiative is not just to look at how can we reduce uh, food losses and food waste, uh, but do so in conjunction with making um, value chains more efficient, uh, using more inclusive uh, business models to have better income sharing along supply chains, uh, and also to do things more sustainably. So um, what we're looking at is uh, how can we um, change the, um, the nature of supply chains and the incentives in supply chains to improve things. But first, um, some lessons that we learned from previous uh, interventions um, that we've uh, experimented with and that have shown to uh, be very effective in reducing food losses. One is, for instance, uh, having improved contractual arrangements to provide incentives to farmers to adopt um, um, better uh, handling um, of uh, of beans, in this case in, in Guatemala, link farmers to corporate buyers to uh, use these um, uh, better um, preserved uh, uh, handling of, of beans, uh, and that has helped reduce uh, quality losses by 7% um, by those. If you can go back to the previous slide. Um, Um, by 7%. We've um, also experimented with uh, uh, hermetically sealed storage bags uh, for maize in Ethiopia. 
um, to prevent losses in storage. Uh, and the, these have proven to be more effective than uh, use in, in silos and be able to bring them to um, uh, smallholder farmers uh, with very simple and cheap solutions, uh, helping reduce the loss of food and particularly the quality loss of food by 9%. In a more recent um, uh, collaborative work in uh, northern Nigeria with um, a logistics uh, firm and social enterprise there called the, the Cold Hubs, uh, we established, uh, helped establish uh, uh, cold storage units that are driven by uh, solar power, um, so can be handled off grid. Um, and so with the um, uh, storage space uh, managed uh, by women, to promote and uh, who help also promote the use of uh, proper crates by farmers and by traders uh, in order to store it uh, uh, on, uh, on the in the storage uh, units. And there we found, uh, this is for fruits uh, and vegetables uh, across all types of fruits and vegetables that implementing this uh, led to uh, 30 to 40% loss to uh, down to near zero um, at the farm and the uh, wholesale uh, stage. But unfortunately that still created losses beyond uh, is since uh, it was focused on just the storage and the management of uh, storage uh, uh, um, to, towards farmers and towards uh, traders, but not beyond where still a lot of fruit and vegetables get traded in the open market. So um, as a result, that, that along the value chain, not everything um, uh, was reduced in terms of food losses, even though um, the uh, rate of return of the solar powered storage was found to be uh, uh, the internal rate of return to be 33% on that investment, so very uh, profitable. So given some of the limitations of uh, looking at simple and maybe uh, very focused solutions, um, what we're currently experimenting with is a set of uh, bundled uh, inno innovations and improvements. If we go now to the next slide, please. Um, and this is the kind of approach that we're taking in the, uh, the new research area to, for instance, improve logistics through solar powered cold chain development and uh, transport and uh, uh, as well as in, in storage to certify um, the quality of, of food through um, uh, food standards uh, and uh, proper certification. And also uh, look at uh, other forms of market incentives that would make it um, uh, interest and beneficial to uh, all the different actors along the supply chains in order to um, improve um, not just um, the efficiency of the value chain, uh, generate better income and employment opportunities uh, and reduce uh, food loss and uh, uh, make also uh, diets more healthy by having a better supply uh, of better quality uh, and through that uh, and also at a lower cost. Well, at the same time, reduce greenhouse gas emissions uh, um, as Maximo indicated, is, which is an important source uh, from uh, because of food loss and waste. Go to the next slide, please. Um, so um, the kind of interventions that we're uh, looking at at the moment, again, in the case of Nigeria, um, it seems that our um, uh, colleague and partner, uh, Mohamed Yakubu 
from the uh, Bunkasa uh, logistics firm in Nigeria cannot join us today, but otherwise he would have told in much more detail the kind of intervention that we're looking at now, just to combine different types of improvements and process and both product innovations in order to um, ensure less food loss reduction, but also uh, improved um, uh, income generation along the entire uh, supply chain uh, for uh, better outcomes and the triple wins that we would like to achieve. So concretely, what we're looking at now is uh, to combine the off-grid uh, cooling uh, systems and cold storage and transportation. Uh, so also uh, using solar powered uh, cooling uh, on uh, trucks uh, that transport uh, and also uh, bringing that to um, cooled uh, rooms, uh, cool, yeah, cooled rooms, uh, temperature controlled rooms near open markets to, where uh, the, um, the produce can be stored uh, um, uh, in a better way such that we don't get losses also beyond the, uh, the wholesale stage. Then also, again, the use of plastic crates is important, and the uh, Bunkasa firm um, uh, is the dis one distributor of those to be used uh, by the farm, uh, by farmers uh, to proper handle the fruits and, and the vegetables uh, on the farm, but also then to ease the um, use of the, uh, trend, uh, the storage uh, space in an effective and an efficient uh, way. Um, in addition, we will are looking at uh, how we can we then also lead to product innovation that uh, would help uh, further usage and reduce uh, loss of uh, of fruits and vegetables, including, for instance, for producing um, uh, tomato paste um, in in the processing uh, stage, as well as in the uh, pre-harvest stage to introduce improved. Uh, seeds that produce higher quality um, uh, tomatoes and other fruits and vegetables in uh, collaboration with East West uh, Seeds uh, International. And last but not least, to make sure is that um, these the gains from these um, innovations can materialize by providing a better market access to all agencies in the market, but also um, to create a market for higher quality foods, uh, fruity improved seeds, but also through the uh, processed uh, foods uh, and then certify them and labeling them such that um, the, uh, the quality is certified and that uh, also the, the, um, uh, that is being recognized and to, to the benefit of farmers as well as to consumers for the quality of, uh, of food. So the storyline here is uh, how can we uh, bundle these innovations to uh, not just have single effects and maybe just partial effects that may then uh, get lost further down the uh, supply chain, but bundle them such that uh, these innovations uh, and improvements uh, work along the entire supply chain. So this is the work um, in progress, so I cannot uh, yet report you have any results, but uh, this is the kind of approach that also looking at experiences elsewhere, uh, we think can uh, generate these multiple wins, uh, but also uh, to say that we need to find the solutions in combination uh, of and looking at the various objectives we want to achieve, not just reducing food loss, um, uh, but also to improve 
incomes um, and as well as uh, certify better quality food to consumers uh, such that the uh, operations and interventions work um, to the benefit of um, people and the planet um, and for the efficiency of food systems. So last but not least, if we go to the next uh, slide, uh, that also implies that even though we have a lot of these innovations, they're uh, not new per se, but uh, one, they have to be adapted to the local context and uh, bundled uh, appropriately such that we can have these synergies uh, across the different impacts that we want to achieve. But nothing of that will work if uh, the farmers and traders don't see the incentives um, that um, they need to adopt and uh, the widespread usage. Uh, that they can see they're cost effective um, for uh, all actors along the supply chain. Um, and uh, as said, that we, we need to make sure is that uh, the gains that we may have in one segment of the supply chain uh, are retained in also in the rest of the supply chain. And last but not least, uh, food systems are markets. So we have to make sure is that uh, uh, the, it's recognized the better quality, um, both in terms of uh, uh, the nutritious value of foods, but also the quality of those foods that we hope to improve through these uh, innovations. So it has to come as a package uh, as such that makes things uh, maybe a bit more complex, but at the same time, we know the technologies. Uh, so it's a matter of working well with all the uh, actors and stakeholders uh, on the ground to make this uh, work. Let me stop here and uh, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Uh, our next panelist is Shannon Sahrak. Uh, she is a senior sustainability manager at Appeal, a food system innovation company enabling more time for fresh fruit, for fresh produce, so that less food goes to waste throughout the supply chain. Appeal is doing this through a technology platform that starts with an edible plant-based coating that extends the shelf life of fresh fruit and vegetables by keeping moisture in and oxygen out, uh, the two primary causes of spoilage. So Shannon, the floor is yours. Thank you, Luciana. Pleasure to be here with you all today. Very excited to share about Appeal as um, was a little bit of a case study of how shelf life extension can be one uh, powerful solution in our tool belt for addressing um, food waste, particularly at the later stages of the produce supply chain. So kind of the theme today, how Appeal works with nature to um, kind of create more time as a way of helping address food waste. So going on to the first slide here, um, some of these stats will be similar to what Maximo highlighted in his uh, keynote presentation, but we know that with um, a growing population uh, and um, you know diets shifting to include uh, different types of foods, we need 56% more food to feed that growing population by 2050. Um, and at the same time, fresh fruits and vegetables have some of the highest food wastes globally. This is pulled from one of um, the UN FAO's reports, but you know, on average, 45% of uh, fruits and vegetables lost or wasted um, along that produce supply chain. So on the next slide, um, the kind of founding concept of appeal um, was the idea of what if we could work with nature to unlock more time and food, you know, asking the question, why is it certain types of produce last longer than others? And can we capture that uh, natural ability for certain plants to defend themselves and last longer um, and then create um, a product that can help to extend the shelf life of some of those more shorter lasting fruits and vegetables? Um, on the next slide. 
So again, learning from nature. So appeal, like Lucian introduced, um, is a plant-based coating that goes on the outside of fresh fruits and vegetables. And it was really inspired by the natural defense that plants already have. Um, so if you look on something like a leaf, it has what's called a cuticle layer, where it will really have um, different cells aligned to keep in moisture and keep out oxygen, really kind of have a semi-permeable layer. And so some of our first founding scientists uh, saw this and wanted to try and replicate that in a plant-based coating. So on to the next slide. Uh, the idea being that can we use food to preserve food? So appeal, the uh, appeal right now is a um, plant-based coating. It goes on the outside of fresh fruits and vegetables, and it's um, entirely invisible. So you can't see that it's there. It doesn't affect the taste of the produce. And um, like what was said in the introduction for my talk here, the main function of that coating is to keep moisture in and oxygen out. Those are two of the biggest drivers of fresh produce. If you think about an orange or an apple sitting on your counter, it will slowly get um, you know, dried out harder. The apple will shrivel a little bit. That's because uh, water is leaving those plant cells and so it's becoming shrunken down. And oxygen getting inside is another uh, way of produce degradation. So oxygen is a very volatile molecule. It'll kind of try and beat up the plant cells in there and really affect the quality. Um, and our product is approved for use on both conventional and organic produce, really um, kind of giving a wide addressability for different types of fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, on the next slide. Appeal is applied onto produce where it already naturally aggregates in the uh, food supply chain. Our product is shipped as a powder, then mixed with water and um, applied onto the fruit as it's usually moving through these big packing lines like are seen on the pictures here, um, where it is then boxed up and sent out to um, grocery stores um, from that point. So this is a really efficient way to make sure we're getting our product onto as um, much fruits and vegetables as possible at, at um, points of concentration. Then on the next slide, just to give you on this slide and the next, we'll show kind of a scale of our operations. So right now we work with over 40 different grocery stores in 11 different countries in North America and Europe. Um, and you can buy a peel at produce at, at retail store locations in more than 20,000 locations. And this is even an old slide. So I, I don't have an updated number, but it's probably grown since then, uh, which is very exciting to know that we're able to access so many, um, so many consumers in those markets. So on the next slide, you can see here um, a sense of our global footprint. So currently we have a variety of products uh, commercially available in the market. Our first product was avocados. I think we've all had that um, experience where we buy an avocado and it's not ready, not ready. And then as soon as it's ready, it seems like it goes bad very quickly. So that was one of our first really strong value propositions. So avocados, um, we are able to put our product on avocados in uh, both um, South American countries, so Peru and Chile, as well as in Mexico and the United States. And then we also um, treat avocados upon import into different European markets as well. Um, in Europe, we also treat citrus in Spain for the European market. And um, I think really trying to counteract, especially for things like mandarins, where you think, oh, it has a peel, it will last longer. But uh, even though even uh, those that more delicate citrus fruits can really lose water quickly. And in the American market, we off, uh, offer limes as well and um, apples. And very excitingly, we just recently launched a um, product for long English cucumbers in the North American market where we're able to um, remove that plastic coating that you see on the outside. So, um, all, you know, we uh, the product can be used to address food waste, but also enable other more sustainable outcomes like avoiding single-use plastics. On to the next slide. 
This um, is again an old num old slide, but we are still working on our 2022 impact numbers. Um, but just to give you a sense of the scale of what our solution has been able to enable, um, in, a, in 2021, we were able to prevent 33 million pieces of produce from going to waste in retail stores. And um, appeal we, at Appeal, we use life cycle assessment to then quantify what are the environmental benefits that are delivered as part of that food waste reduction. It's been touched on a couple of times today how food waste is a um, hot spot for global greenhouse gas emissions. So we want to quantify what our benefit is there. So uh, by preventing that food waste, we were able to avoid um, 70, 73 uh, 7,300 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions. That's equivalent to planting over 122,000 trees. On to the next slide. Um, I think this is my last slide and I'll touch on a few kind of important learnings from what we've seen as, I, as we've worked to build, bring our solution to market. You know, we've been commercial with our products for almost five years now. And I think um, one thing that we've seen is even though Appeal is kind of this invisible solution that can seemingly be put into many different global supply chains, it really takes active participation to make sure that we're maximizing the value that the solution can bring. Um, at the end of the day, our product is giving more time. It's extending the shelf life, giving a longer edible window, but that can really drive many different possible changes in the food system. It's all about, uh, are the incentives set up properly for people to be able to take advantage of that extra time to reduce waste? Um, can you, you can think about things like our the produce managers and grocery stores incentivized to want to reduce waste such that they're willing to pay for the appeal solution? Um, do consumers know that they're getting extra time with their food such that they can really make the most of that extra time? Um, and or and are there other incentives in the system to want to use that extra time for other kind of supply chain efficiencies? I think it's, it's really a question of incentives and trying to make the most of it. Um, and I think a couple other th challenges that we're always thinking through are um, it, the challenge of expanding kind of to additional markets as well is we really need those points of aggregation where all of the produce comes together. And that exists very readily in some markets and not so much in others. Um, and then I would say kind of regulatory access as well. Regulators have a um, piece to play in that um, right now in the European Union, we can only put our product onto produce with um, inedible skin. So avocados and citrus, bananas, pineapples, whereas um, some of those more delicate uh, types of produce that don't have a peel um, are really ripe for our solution and innovation, but we're still have pending regulatory access. So I think it really takes everyone along the system kind of understanding that shelf life extension is something that's valuable and we really um, need to put it on there, but then actively make decisions based upon it. So um, I'll leave it off there and go ahead and pass it off to the next presenter. Uh, thank you, Shannon, for the presentation. So our next panelist is Sing Fries. Singh is the director of CSR and Quality Coop Denmark. Uh, Coop Denmark is a Denmark leading consumer good retailer uh, owned by 1.9 million members. So Singh, the floor is yours. Hello everybody and thank you very much. And thank you for letting me participate in this interesting discussion. So as a retailer, uh, working with food waste, not just food and veg, but all types of food waste is really important because every retailer buys the products from the producers, for example, so our interest is to sell the products. That's why it's a focus area that always has existed in retail and definitely also in co-op, because if we waste food, we waste our own money, but we also uh, waste resources, which is not a good idea at all. In Denmark, the consumers are very concerned about food waste, especially retailers' uh, uh, food waste. 
Um, but the analysis, uh, lots of different reports and analysis actually show that it's um, food waste at home that is uh, the most, um, where the biggest food waste is. Even so, as uh, one of the biggest retailers in, in Denmark, we also work to minimize the food waste that we have from our stores. And our latest um, calculations shows that we have a food waste of about 1% of uh, turnover. And that's where we want to be uh, because we can't uh, hit a zero because then uh, it would not be possible because fruit and veggies in particular is very sens sensitive. And it can be very difficult to know exactly how much are you going to sell on a specific day. It depends if it's a rainy day, if it's a holiday day, if it's uh, there's a football match in the in the, in TV uh, later that night. That uh, has impact on what we sell. But of course, we try to um, forecast uh, our sales so we can um, we can buy the right amounts. And one of the things that we do is we have something called. Uh, uh, our, our automatic dispos dispositioning in our stores. So it means that the, um, the checkout basically registers how much do we sell of a given product. And then it automatically buys that same amount home for the next day. And that reduces food waste. <clears throat> but what we want to do when we uh, and have instructed our employees is to work with a waste hierarchy, as we, we call it. And that means that if we have products that is going to run out of date. Then we want to sell it at a lower price as number one. So that's why we have different uh, coolers in our stores that says save the food. And you can go as a consumer and buy discounted uh, food there. It can be fruit and veg, it can also be all sorts of other products. And that's a very popular solution to our customers who can make a good deal. And it's also very good for us because when we can actually sell the product and it can come to good use. Uh, we also work together with the Too Good To Go. And in fact, we were the first ones in Denmark to participate with Too Good To Go. And by this time, we have uh, sold over uh, 1 million products or bags through the Too, Too Good To Go solution. And since there has been this energy crisis and inflation crisis, this is something that's been very popular amongst our customers to go and buy these uh, bags with Too Good To Go. And that's also helpful for the environment and is also helpful for us uh, as a retailer. And it's good for the consumer because they get, again, uh, discounted fruit and veg. <clears throat> um, if it's not possible uh, for somehow to, to sell it, then we try to see, can we use the products to go into other types of products. For example, we have a, in one of our chains, we sell banana bread, which is made from um, uh, excess bananas that we have from our stores or from our uh, storage. Um, so this banana bread, it's also very popular. So they, there's actually a different company that goes and collect our surplus bananas and turn them into this banana bread that we sell in the stores. We also have several other products that we um, we upcycle like this. And if that's not possible, then we like to donate the, the excess food waste that we have, which is not waste, but still edible to local societies who will hand it out to um, vulnerable, vulnerable uh, people. And then uh, in the end, if nothing can be done, then uh, we will uh, put it in our bio container and it um, is uh, turned into to biogas. So we work on many different levels to reduce and um, avoid food waste in our stores. 
We also work together with the producers, not only in terms of amount and supplies that we like to order, but also in terms for them to be innovative. How can they also reduce uh, food waste in their value chain uh, is one of the things that we are engaging with our uh, producers with. But also how can they perhaps extend product life, which we've just heard something about just before. And this is an ongoing conversation with, with our suppliers to see how can that be done. One of the things that we've also done is to uh, try and see if we can ship the market preferences preferences for uh, different fruit and veg. For example, we started off for more than 10 years ago to sell what we call wonky carrots in our stores uh, because we wanted to make sure that it wasn't um, food waste at our producers. Um, and sometimes the consumers would like to buy those, those kind of things, but sometimes it's a little bit more of a hard sell. And lastly, what we also do is try to help our consumers to avoid food waste at home, because as just said in the beginning, that's where the most amount of food waste actually is. So we try to give them good advice in our stores when they buy uh, our products uh, and to uh, give them recipes for uh, leftover recipes, for example. And we also have developed a QR code where you can actually scan uh, what you have in your uh, refrigerator and what you have in, for example, in your too good to go bag. And that is uh, uh, an, an intelligent algorithm that can create different kinds of dishes that you can make from the products that you have. So we try on different levels to actually not only help ourselves and our business, but also help the producers, but also try to help our uh, customers to live a more sustainable life and to uh, avoid uh, food waste. And that uh, I'll turn it over to the next speaker. So thank you, Singh, for the nice presentation. So our last panelist is Mohamed Jakub Bubayo. Uh, Mohamed is the founder and CEO of Bunkasa Agritech. Uh, Bunkasa is an agritech company in partnership with Mile 12 International Market Lagos. Uh, the firm is a technology-driven and innovation-focused organization uh, providing solutions to the challenges of farmers in Nigeria. And some of the proposed solutions are using plastic crates and greenhouse uh, solar dryers. So, Muhammad, uh, the floor is yours. I think we just uh, lost uh, Muhammad. Oh, okay. Uh, so we wait for him or we can continue uh, with some questions to the panel? Yeah. I suggest we continue with some questions. Uh, okay, uh, so thank you to our panelists. So at this point, we, not, we will now move to the Q&A uh, portion of the program. So we would like to hear from, from as many of you as we can. So please continue submitting your questions on ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag uh, askifpri on Twitter. And um, please note that in some instances and in the interest of the time, uh, we might have to consolidate uh, some of your questions. But uh, okay. first, let oh, he's here. Yeah, happy, happy to see okay. you. Yeah, happy to see you here, everyone. Uh, yeah. Good day. And sorry for my network just uh, went off. Hello. Yeah, go. Go ahead, Sir Mohammed. Okay, 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 thank you. So uh, the timing is nine nine thirty, right? 
Yes, that's yes. correct. Hello, are we set? Yes. Okay, 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 okay. I'm set and I hope my, my background is okay. And also everyone can hear me. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, 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 okay. So that's fantastic. And I'm also happy uh, to be one of the finalists today, at least uh, to share what we have been doing in reducing uh, food waste and loss in, in Nigeria. Because uh, uh, as you know, Nigeria is one of the uh, largest country in Africa producing uh, so much, so much, a lot of food and which uh, about 50% goes to waste. So uh, it is uh, very important and at this time around, you know, uh, to collaborate with other uh, stakeholders in the world to see what we need to do and how we need to, uh, you know, uh, collaborate to see how we can bring some reductions in that sector. So thank you very much uh, for this uh, opportunity to join you here today. Okay, then. Okay, thank you, Mohamed. Uh, so at this point, as I said, we will now move to the Q and A portion of the program. So we would like to, to hear from you as, as many as we can. Uh, so please continue submitting your questions on ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag as ifpri on Twitter. And as I say, please note that in some instances and in the interest of the time, we may have to consolidate some of your questions. Uh, but first, uh, let me start with three questions for the panel. So the first one is, uh, how much reduction in food loss and waste have you been able to achieve through your innovations and operations? The second one is, are, you, are your interventions uh, cost-effective and are the gains equally shared across the supply chain? And the third one is, how scalable are your interventions and what are the obstacles towards widespread adoption? So now in around two minutes each, uh, what will be your answer to one or, or the three questions? So uh, let me start in the reverse order. So Mohamed, Singh, Shannon, and, and Rob. Mohamed. You are muted, Mohamed. Okay, so Singh. Yes, uh, thank you. That's a very good question. Um, <clears throat> um, in uh, in Coop, um, we have a target that says we have to reduce our food waste by 50% in 2030. This is something that uh, many retailers have signed uh, across the board in Denmark. So that's what uh, everybody's working hard to do. It's difficult to say what is the most important thing to do uh, when in order to achieve this, because really you have to do a lot of things. And I mentioned some of the the uh, the activities that we have been doing. The good thing about the many different activities that we're doing is that they're definitely applicable to other retailers uh, very easily. I mean, it's not like you need a special IT system or uh, you need, it's, it's very uh, complicated to do. It's actually a more of a cultural thing to uh, engage with your employees in what your uh, culture is about food waste. And once you've done that, then 
I see, especially uh, some of our younger employees are very, very uh, focused on minimizing food waste from their from their stores. So in that sense, it's actually pretty applicable to to just to steal everything I said today and go and um, implement it in uh, in other retailers. Um, uh, so uh, so so in that sense, it's a pretty uh, scalable, and I also think. Okay, thank you, uh, Shannon. Yes, um, good questions. So um, to answer the first one, what reduction have we seen? So this really will depend on kind of the type of produce that our product is going on to and um, where in the supply chain it's reducing waste. But from um, some studies we've run in uh, retail stores, as well as some initial results from our efforts to try and measure the impact of our product in the home, you know, we can see from 20 to 50% waste reduction. Um, and this is great because we kind of see that consistency in rate, uh, whether the waste was 20% to begin with or whether it was 2% to begin with. So there's always kind of a great directional improvement. Um, then cost effective. I think that's a key part of us being, you know, a, a private company, you know, being a, a, you know, in the private sector, uh, that people are only going to buy it if it also delivers economic returns for them. So we do see a, a great, strong um ROI for the retailer customers that we work with and uh, for consumers most you know most retailers do not charge more for produce with our uh, coating on it so consumers are getting that full benefit without having to pay more and um, you know if you are used to wasting 10% of the produce that you buy and you're essentially losing 10% of the money that you spent on produce so um, they can really see a reduction in the costs that are um, coming from food waste and uh, scalability um, the great thing about our product is it can go on anything. It's really a question of, um, you know, the engine, like an engineering challenge. If it's not a, um, you know, a round type of produce where it can go in the type of application systems that we built, we're working on different ways in which to get our product onto produce. Um, and then I would say the, uh, some of the other you know, barriers to scalability are, again, those points of aggregation. It's most cost-effective for everyone if we can apply it where produce already comes together. And so if those points of aggregation don't exist, it can become a little more challenging. But again, kind of, we're always looking at different business models that we can employ. Um, and I mentioned, I touched briefly in my um, presentation about regulatory hurdles as well. I think um, right now we are limited in certain markets around the type of produce that we can put our product onto. So um, the more that those barriers can be broken down, the um, more our product can scale. And then the last thing I'll say is um, different, it, different drivers of waste, you know, different types of produce go to waste for different reasons. Things like um, citrus fruits. Some, you know, both mold can be a big driver of race and we're right now our product does not address mold, but we are always working on improvements to our formulation in order to address those drivers of waste. So that's really key for us in product development when we look to scale our technology to new types of produce, understanding what is specifically driving waste in, in the food system for this type of produce. Does our formulation address it now? Do we need to um, create a new formulation? And that makes sure you're really targeting the solution for the crux of the problem. So thank you, Shannon. Uh, Rob? Yeah, thanks, uh, Luciana. As I mentioned uh, in my intervention, in the case of the uh, cold storage, uh, the solar powered cold storage in Nigeria for fruits and vegetable chains, we, uh, we saw improvements in the sense of reduction of food losses uh, to near zero from, from 30 to 40 percent. <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, what we also saw there is that the um, food losses is, is then reduction happens 
for those uh, that participate in the storage space, the, in this case, particularly farmers and traders. But then beyond that, when it goes to the retail states uh, in which in Nigeria is still pretty much in open markets, then uh, renewed food losses uh, would um, would occur. Um, so, um, so in the uh, micro cosm, so to speak, of the micro storage space, we saw that was um, cost effective uh, with high rates of return on those investments. Um, but for the supply chain at large, um, if it doesn't work across the supply chain, um, then there still can be significant losses. Hence the uh, uh, bundling with other interventions where we hope to sustain the reduction in losses throughout the, the supply chain, through better quality seeds, um, through the um, handling and uh, better distribution of crates, uh, where Muhammad's business is uh, very active uh, in, um, as well as uh, through the um, uh, cold storage, uh, the cold transportation, solar powered cold transportation uh, along the supply chain, as well as use of uh, cool rooms uh, in the uh, in the supply chain near the um, uh, the open markets. So the combination of things uh, would need to lead to these uh, bigger effects and benefits uh, along the supply chain. And I think then uh, that would be well scalable once everybody can see the benefits uh, of that. But I'm quite sure Mohammed can um, add to this um, from his uh, specific context. Thank you, Rob. Uh, so Mohammed, do you want to add something on the on the questions? Okay. Uh, are we on the questions number three? Uh, yeah, you can you can choose any of the three. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, on the questions number three. Uh, our intervention can be scaled across uh, 200,000 tomato farmers we have in Nigeria. And because we have a, a proven a practical experiment whereby uh, the comparison between the rice fair basket uh, and then the uh, plastic uh, the uh, plastic crates, there is like huge, huge gap difference in terms of uh, like food predictions. Uh, and then on some of uh, what friends adaptations, the obstacle that is uh, stopping the plastic crate uh, will be linked to the issue we have with logistics. Because, because we have many, many uh, batch roads in Nigeria in a way that uh, some trailers take about three days to four days instead of taking two days to convey tomatoes from farm to the market. So the issue of logistics uh, is a great issue. I think uh, you know the widespread of the adaptation of plastic crate in Nigeria, and then also there's issue of theft, whereby uh, some consumer will buy a plastic crate, uh, like will buy tomato inside a plastic crate and go out to the market with it. But with that, we have done something where we sit down with the market association, uh, you, you know, and then and and then the offloaders and also uh, with the consumers, whereby. The, the plastic crate will be protected inside the market. It means if a consumer buy a tomato inside a plastic crate, he needs to uh, buy his own uh, plastic uh, rubber, something that they, they come with, and turn that tomato inside. They were not allowed to go out to the market with that plastic crate. There's also an uh, issue of mishandling, you know, by farmers, traders, and also offloaders. And with that, 
we created awareness and a training for the farmers and the, and the traders at the market level and also with the uploaders to show them a proper means of handling those plastic crates so that it should not breakage and it will not spoil. And also whereby there's an empty crate, uh, a trader or someone like a member of the market will not allow to sit down on that plastic crate. If he do that, he's going to pay a fine. And then the last thing that is, uh, that is stopping you know, the adoption of this plastic crate as, is the issue uh, of, fund, of funding because uh, plastic crate is capital extensive now in Nigeria, especially in the last two years. So these are the five factors that are, that are like stopping, you know, the widespread adoption of the plastic crate in Nigeria. And in terms of solar dryer, the, the current solar dryer we have in Nigeria is inefficient in a way that it dry the tomato the same best you can dry tomato under sun. That means when you take 10 days to dry your tomato under sun, you also have to take another 10 days to dry your tomato inside the solar dryer. So in that regard, farmers will say they don't see a differences, but we are aligned some, uh, with some fabricators here, here in Nigeria, see how we can develop and come out and come up with a better, better solar dryer that can, that can at least dry those fresh produce in like 24 hours. Like the maximum, so that we have an efficiency, you know, and fastness, you know, in drying, so that even the farmers will see that yes, uh, there's differences between what I'm drying under the sun and what I'm drying under the solar dryer, because the the coloration and the hygiene is not enough. It's not enough. Our consumers in Nigeria still, still we have to do a lot, a lot of work to let them know the differences between the tomato that was dry under sun and the tomato that was dry under solar dryer. You know, it is a, uh, the one under, under, under solar dryer is more hygienic, but it's not physically seen. It's not, it's not something that can physically seen until you told them. So we created that to see how we can depreciate the packaging, the packaging of the, of the dry tomato inside, this, inside uh, the one that come from solar dryer and the one that come from under sun. So that the, the packaging will be different in a way that farmer can be able to understand, okay, oh, this is hygienic. Oh. So there's a lot to do on that too, regards. Okay, thank you, Mohamed. Uh, so let us continue with other questions. So, so what indicator will you use to identify priorities of interventions uh, to reduce losses or waste, assuming that you have a restricted budget? Uh, so how you prioritize this, how you, how you prioritize these interventions? So, Hello. and we start with Sim. Please, can you come again? Yeah. So the question was, uh, what indicator will you use to identify the priorities of interventions uh, to reduce losses or waste, uh, assuming that you have a restricted uh, budget? So how you prioritize this? So can we start with Sim? Yes. Um... Well, I guess um, <clears throat> what we do is that we look, obviously, where does uh, the, where is the biggest food waste that we have? What kind of categories is it? So how much value do we lose if we just um, throw it out? Uh, it goes into the bio container. 
you can uh, difference between differentiate between the different categories if it's dairy, meat, fruit and veg, and so on. So that's one way of looking at it. Where do you want to put your effort? Another way uh, that we also apply is what is the environmental impact uh, when you look at the different categories. Uh, so that's also a, a, a frame you want to put into it. Uh, I think you should. And a, a third uh, view is also well, what kind? What does it take to to make this kind of reduction that we we're looking for? And we want to do things. Uh, you know, we want to do the stuff that obviously has the most impact. So that's the kind of grid that we put down onto it. Now, I wouldn't say that this is uh, fruit and veg is a huge uh, area where there's a, uh, it's, it's a problem for, with food loss here because it's a sensible um, products. So that's definitely something that uh, we look into. Um, and uh, I don't think uh, we don't have this, the kind of discussions about uh, is our investment uh, the money worth? Because we can tell that our customers are very um, um, inquisitive and uh, also um, demanding in terms of what they expect from a retailer in Denmark to do. And uh, that's why that it actually pays it pays off for us. It's a good investment uh, to try and for example, lower the prices on their products or to work together with too good to go. Um, even donating is actually also a good investment, although we don't get any money for the products because we don't sell it, because then at least we won't have the expenses to the waste um, uh, recycling. <clears throat> but of course, we wanted to, that's why I talked about the hierarchy that we work from. We, as a retailer, our job is to sell products. Uh, so that's what we want to do in the first place. And then the discussion is always, how much should you reduce your products by? Should it be 20%, 10%, 50%? 50%? Um, and that is something that the store manager at the individual stores, they decide because they know their customers best. They know where should the price be so I can uh, sell it and not uh, throw it out. Um, and uh, and this is always a good investment for us to sell it rather than to uh, to uh, to uh, to throw it out. Also, because even if we could sell, um, just uh, put it in the bin. You could be a cynical retailer and just put it in the bin if it's um, approaching out of date, uh, and then sell the fresh produce at full price. Well, our customers will definitely notice that we have a lot of food waste, and also it would be ethically wrong. So that's why we don't do that, but we uh, try to reduce the prices. Um, there is, of course, some uh, work to do when you work with the producers and or if you try to introduce a new product to the market, like the wonky carrots. And sometimes you can't really make the business case, but you maybe just have to try and see what happens. And this, this is what we did with the wonky carrots. But usually, and also when we work with the, our uh, producers, it usually is a win-win situation. It's a win for us, it's a win for the producer, and it's also a win for the customers and extra win because it's also a win for the, the environment. So it's it's uh, difficult to, for me to say, uh, we we definitely, you know, we have a, like, um, a clear-cut way of how we do it, but the investment isn't so big. And uh, it's, as I said, also, it's a cultural uh uh, it's, a, it's a change of culture in, in the way we think about uh, food and, uh, and food waste in, in our mindset. 
Okay, many, many thanks, Ting. So many thanks to all. So let's now move to the Q&A from the audience. Um, so I have a question from Silas and Gavi uh, from Tanzania. So how do we increase access to technology and finance for small scale uh, processors to access cold storage and post-harvest technology? So Rob, or uh, can, you, can you help us with us or Mohamed? Okay, she was talking. Uh, yeah, she was asking about uh, access to finance for the uh, small pro processors. Uh, what uh, what I think in Nigeria we are doing uh, something something similar here because uh, there's a need of of commitment from those uh, small scale uh, uh, processors of like uh, maybe for example uh, the metals. They have to that's something there is uh, many local way you know to process to process tomatoes and there's also other local ways to to package it in a way that they they, they are going to start looking for markets and from that it will be easy for them to assess pond you know the big job for them is to start there's a way you can start small before you attract some financing so uh on the issue of that finance, I suggested uh, for them to started using uh, the, the local tomato processing. They can do it. There's, there's available bottles and branding uh, available. I think anywhere in Africa, they can get it. They can start uh, they can, they can the processing and also start looking for markets. But most times, people think like they can jump into a business or their barrier to entering that business is finance. But when they get that finance, they realize that what they need the most is not that finance. It's actually, they need to do the background check, you know, the feasibility study. They have to understand what is really, what's really in that business. And they cannot understand that without starting. No matter what, they have to start. There's some, uh, there's some uh, supermarket nearby Near, nearby us that we encourage women after processing their own tomatoes, they can take, they can, they can take it there. Some have successfully uh, uh, been able to sell their own, while some they cannot be able to, 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 to sell their own. So they come back and sit down to realize where are they making mistakes and where their market is. At times, someone may be even target a, a wrong market. For example, now, uh, in Nigeria, we have we have uh, southeast, we have southwest. Southwest are people who are majorly want to consume fresh foods. If you give them any processed tomatoes, they are not going to consume it. But we have southeast eastern part of Nigeria where they consume a lot of tomatoes. They don't care about the fresh one. All they need is the that uh, uh, processed tomatoes. So most times without starting, someone may not be able to understand what is really in that business. And then the first thing, and then the first thing he will say is finance, which is actually his own problem or what he must needed is not finance. It's actually to do to start okay. doing the background check. And if he have done the background check, it's not easy for him to assess the, the, the finance. Because whoever comes and see his market size and see what he's doing 
Okay, so, okay, now what you need is to scale off. So it's very easy for an investor, you know, to, you know, to have those small scale uh, processors to scale up by looking at what, they, at what they were doing. But if they have not yes. done something yet, it's not be easy for them to assess that finance. Okay, thank you, Mohamed. So the next okay. questions are uh, to Shannon um, from Clarity Mapengo, from Pratisha and others. Uh, so how affordable is appeal to a small scale fruits vendors in the developing uh, global south? Or do you have any strategies in place for that? And also can they help, like appeal can help with low value produce. And if you can please uh, share some examples on which fruits and vegetables uh, you can use the technology for mm -hmm. appeal. Thank sure. Um, so as you saw on the map, I think most of our commercial expansion today has been um, in the North American and European markets, but we are always looking for ways in which we can bring our solution um, farther upstream and to different geographic areas. I think um, one challenge we've noted in some markets is where produce supply chains are more decentralized. We don't have those points of aggregation where we can utilize the engineering technologies we've developed to apply our product. We are, um, you know, currently trying to explore ways in which we can enable things like self-service models where we could um, sell the powder instead of needing to sell our, you know, right now we operate as a, a solution provider. So we come in, we have the equipment, we have the solution and we take care of the application. Um, but we are currently trying to explore different business models where small scale producers would be able to um, use it for their fresh produce um, and that way we don't have to rely on those points of aggregation. So that's why, for example, some of our expansion into South America currently is with um, you know, larger avocado suppliers who have those points of aggregation. Um, and then to, I, to the second part of the question, the types of produce we can apply it onto right now. Um, right now we have um, available in the market um, in, the, in North America, avocados, apples and limes and um, we're looking to launch onto additional um, produce categories um, in the coming year and i think right now we're looking at um, strawberries and bell peppers are kind of the current ones we have in the mix um and then in europe we also do avocados and we do citrus fruits so mandarins oranges lemons grapefruit and um again the limiting step there being um our inability to apply onto edible skin products. Um, but I think one thing we're always looking for in new business opportunities, whether it's new supply chains or new um, you know, produce categories, we're looking at, you know, desirability, does the market want it? Is there going, uh, is there enough, you know, waste or other inefficiencies to justify the cost of the solution that would be then economic benefits returned to people? Um, is it feasible? Can we technologically do it with um, the tools we have developed as our company? And uh, is it viable? Are, are we as a business going to be able to make money for it? And are our customers going to be able to make money for it? So I think those are the frameworks by which we look for expansion and kind of, um, hopefully, yeah, that's kind of a high level answer to kind of why, why we are where we are right now and kind of will guide our future. Um, expansion as well. Hey, thank you, Shannon. So the last question is uh, for Rob. How can the collection of primary data be optimized uh, for the food loss and waste along the fruit and vegetable uh, supply chain? Uh, that's a, a tough question. Maybe um, something more for Maximo to answer or for yourself to answer. You have a lot of experience in that. 
Um, of course, it's very difficult to um, globally collect uh, all the data that's that's needed to monitor closely food loss loss and waste because we have so many products, um, and also what you need to be um, looking at uh, not just in terms of the quantities lost but also quality losses. That uh, as our own research has found that is an important component of uh, how we identify food food loss. Uh, and food food waste, um, but but yes, I think uh, a lot more can be done, uh, uh, particularly if uh, um, uh, businesses themselves and, and traders would start reporting on uh, food losses, and that it also becomes a more integral part of regular uh, farm surveys. Uh, to get day-to-day uh, -day, uh, monitoring, that will be uh, probably too expensive, but uh, I think. Uh, with the um, identification, also indirect methods uh, next to the primary data collection that uh, FAO is doing for food losses and uh, uh, UNEP uh, is doing for food waste. I think we're uh, making quite a bit of uh, uh, good progress uh, towards the better monitoring. But as I said, it's, it's very costly, so it will depend on all countries, partners, but also uh, businesses alike to help uh, collect uh, more and better uh, data to be able to monitor food losses uh, along entire supply chains. Okay, thank you, Rob. So thank you everyone uh, for participating in the discussion. We apologize that we cannot get to everyone's questions with our limited time. So now we would like to hear from Liz Goodwin. Uh, Liz is a senior fellow, uh, director of food loss and waste at World Resources Institute. So for her closing remarks, so Liz, the floor is yours. Thank you, Luciana, and it's been a fascinating um, discussion. Every time I come to uh, one of these uh, webinars, I'm always inspired by the speakers and I hear a lot of new stuff that I didn't know. So um, that's been very interesting and I'm sure you've been inspired as well. Um, I think the things that really came out to me as being um, things to take away, uh, we heard again from Maxim about the urgency. You know, it's only seven years till 2030 and you know this is an urgent issue. Um, we have seen increase in awareness over the recent years, but there's still not enough progress. So what can we do to move the dial and to get momentum really motoring? Um, and I think, you know, it, it's clear that all the organisations and people involved in the in the webinar today, you know, they're showing a massive amount of leadership and we should all recognise that and be, be thankful of that. I think this urg the urgency question is also... Um, important when you think about the current situation that we've got, you know, we've got increasing signs of climate change happening um, and the impact that's having on the food system. Um, we've got ongoing effects of COVID and we've got the war in Ukraine that are also affecting the food system, causing shocks, um, causing interruptions in supply, causing price hikes. Um, so we have to deal with all these issues at the same time as having a fundamental problem of, of food loss and waste that we need to try to reduce. Um, I'm, I'm also part of the uh, Champions 12.3 group and every year we do an assessment of where the big issues are and how the world is doing in terms of reducing food loss and waste. And that, that most recent assessment of that is that there is more being done by businesses and signs of businesses doing more and we heard some of that from senior today. But there's still obviously more that businesses can do. But there's still two big issues, one at the farm end and one at the consumer end, where we still need a huge amount more work done um, and you know fundamental to to some of that 
measurement, uh, Maximo mentioned it, it is very important that we have data, we know where the problems are, and then we can take action. And then solutions, and that was a big focus of, of Rob and some of the other speakers, you know, there is no silver bullet here. We need bundles of solutions. Rob talked about the challenge of getting all of those to work together. Um, and we need, then need real practical understanding, like Mohammed has, of things that work on the ground and things that don't work. And I think we, at the end of the day, we have to remember the food system is a system. Um, there are lot of, lots of actors, lots of players, lots of moving parts, and lots of things that need to be done. Um, and we must, if we're going to make it work, we've got to have things that um, improve information, improve transparency, improve the ability to collaborate throughout the system. Um, because then it's only by having system-wide solutions that we're going to actually um, make real progress. And I think finally, I'd just say to you know, to all of you, you know, you're all in the food system. You've got an interest in in the food system. Um, make sure you're doing your bit. Encourage your peers to do more, um, and don't ignore the things that, as you can see, are being ignored. Make sure that that we are all doing as much as we possibly can to um, reduce food and loss and waste. Um, so I hope you found today an interesting session and I'll hand back to Luciana. So thank you, Liz, uh, for your closing remarks. Uh, and thank you to our keynote speaker, panelists, and everyone joining us today. So let me just finalize by saying that clearly uh, we can act now on reducing food loss and waste. All the evidence today has shown us it's a triple win. Uh, it's feasible and it brings a significant impact in a world where today we really need to reduce hunger. So thanks again to all of you. And before we leave, let me invite you to tune in our next seminar on Thursday, March 16, on how $10 billion can transform food system in Ethiopia, Malawi, and Nigeria. It's a report launch jointly organized with International Institute for Sustainable Development and Shamba Center for, Center and for Food and Climate.